unspeakable favor. I'm thankful this morning for the grace of God. The grace of God. You know, defining the grace of God, the inexhaustible supply of God's goodness that we did not deserve, but that keeps on coming. The inexhaustible supply, it won't run out, of God's goodness that we did not deserve, but keeps coming after us. I'm thankful for His mercy. I'm thankful for His grace. And I'm thankful for the fountain. You know, when I quit trying to do it myself, He said, I am the vine and you are the branches. When I quit trying to squeeze the oil out of the vine, when when I stopped trying to make it happen, and I just allowed Him to graft me into it, the oil just began to run. The joy just began to run. The peace just began to run. The favor and the mercy just began to run. Without my works, and I realized it was nothing I could do, but it was everything that He did. I'm thankful for His grace this morning. We have a special speaker this morning that's no stranger to this pulpit, no stranger to this church. As he gets ready to come and share the word of the living God, hallelujah, I'm thankful that we have a king. Thankful for his mercy. And I'm thankful for his grace. Y'all help us, give, y'all help us welcome our creative arts and worship pastor, Tyler Cohen. I want to say that it's always an honor to be able to share the gospel. Um, This wasn't planned before yesterday morning at 630. Um, But the word has been planned because I didn't tell pastor, but there I've been studying a, a story through through school and it forced me into studying this parable I'm going to share with you today. And since then, I've gotten a a deep desire to share this word but I've just been kind of holding on to it and meditating on it and letting it marinate for about four weeks and pastor was praying throughout this week and he said the Lord told him that I had a word so he didn't have a word so he texted me and said you got a word and I said I do have a word who told you I had a word (laughs) and so I have a word for you this morning that I believe is straight from the throne amen If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me this morning to Luke 15, a very familiar passage, but I hope that I can bring something out of it today that will shed light on something maybe you've never seen before. Luke 15, 11 to 32, and I know that's a lot, so just bear with me. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story or this parable. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. 
So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all of his belongings and he moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all of his money in wild living. One version says, in parable living. In prodigal living. About that time, his money ran out. And a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. I'll come back there. The young man came so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. And when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home... Even the hired servants have enough food to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, I'll come back there too. His father saw him coming and filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he was found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field working. When he returned home, he heard the music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants, what's going on? Your brother is back. He was told, and your father has killed the fat cow. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast for my friends. And yet this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes. You celebrate by killing the fattened calf? His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost. But now he's found. Let us pray. Father, I love you and I thank you for the opportunity to be able to share your word and your gospel this morning. God, I ask that you anoint this word. Saturate me in your anointing. God, I ask you to come down and walk. Open up our minds and open up our hearts that we may receive a word from you that it shall not return void, but it will go out and accomplish that that it's sent to do. I love you and I praise you and I thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' precious holy name we pray. And everybody said... Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. Hallelujah. Each one of the Gospels, there's four of them, have their own uniqueness, if you will. 
There's a uniqueness found with each one of them, and yet they all come together to create a story. Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, I would say it's probably my favorite gospel, if you have to have a favorite gospel. And it's because it includes much of what the other gospels do not. Luke was a physician, so he was very detailed. He was beyond educated for that time period, so he would write a little more detailed than maybe some that were not. Luke was written by a Gentile. That's been debated on scholars amongst the ages in, in, the, in the study of the Christianity there. But I believe that based on what I can read and what I can see in it, he plays a lot of attention to the Gentile world, right? Much of what is included in Luke 9 all the way through Luke chapter 19 only appears in the Gospel of Luke and none of the other Gospels. It was wrote to reassure that a Gentile, a new, it, it, God still saves Gentiles and that salvation was for everybody. That was a new thing back then. They believed, a lot of them believed that salvation was only for the Jews. But Luke wrote in such a way to let everybody know it's for you too. Amen. Luke writes of Jesus as being Savior. They all have themes within them if you go and study each one of the Gospels. And Luke is very keen on mentioning that Jesus came to save. The word Savior or salvation occurs in Luke more than any other Gospel. Exclusively to Luke, we find Jesus himself defining his own mission. In Luke 19 and 10, it said, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. There's a theme here found within that, that his concern is not just with the Jews, but Luke writes in a way that there's a concern for the poor with among society. There's a concern with those that are less than. He emphasizes the role of women in Jesus' ministry. He emphasizes the Holy Spirit and he emphasizes prayer. And Luke will find two parables that are only found in Luke that communicate the urgency of prayer. The parable of the friend seeking bread in Luke 11, 5 through 8, and the persistent widow in Luke 18, 2 through 8. These parables encourage us to pray with boldness. Luke is the only gospel to have a sequel. The book of Acts is a continuation of Luke. And it is here in the book of Luke that we find the only time that this parable is mentioned. The parable of the prodigal son. A parable is just an analogy that's used to point towards the kingdom of God. Every parable that you hear is about the kingdom of God. It's among this that we are able to see the truth. All of these parables give us a level of truth that is revealed to us. Enough truth to raise your curiosity. You see, there's nothing in this world we can point to and say... That's the kingdom of God because that would limit the kingdom. You have to use a variety of parables, a variety of things to just pique our mind and pique our interest. It's too much for us to understand this is the kingdom or that is the kingdom. You have to use a variety of stories that we can relate to, analogies. The truth is what we need in our life to set us free. And that's what's revealed within parables is truth. In John 8, 32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Good. So let's dive into this text. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them a parable. He told them a story. Meaning that he was trying to explain something to them and they needed further explanation. Anybody ever needed further explanation on something? He said, a man had two sons. Now I'm going to dive into this and we may take a minute so y'all just hang with me. 
A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate. I wish mine would. I want my share of your bank account before you die. So his father agreed and divided his wealth between his sons. Between both of only one asked. But the wealth got divided to both of them. There's a theme in the word of God using two sons. The number two represents union. There's two testaments, an old one and a new one. The, tes- the testimony of at least two people were needed in Old Testaments to convict anyone of a crime. There are two witnesses at the end in the book of Revelations chapter 11. The, the disciples were sent out in groups of two. The animals entered onto the ark in groups of two. Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel. And when one was slaughtered, Cain was slaughtered. Abel then bore Seth, which meant that there were still Two sons, the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, there's Jacob and Esau. There is the use of two brothers in Matthew chapter 21, whose father tells them to go work in the vineyard. Joseph had two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Moses had two sons, Gershom and Eliezer. Yet Moses was one of two sons. He had a brother known, known as Aaron. And then there's God. You say, well, God had two sons. There's the first man, Adam, and the last man, Adam. There's something significant about two sons. There is both the Jew and the Gentile. There's something to be said about two. Shall we say the lost and the found? My message title this morning is The Point Between Lost and Found. The younger son goes to his father and he says, I want my share of your estate before you die. So the father agreed to divide it. The King James says his livelihood. Give me your share of your life before you die. All that he had worked towards, he said, I want my share of that. His son asked him for it and then it was divided to both of them. The younger son starts out his request with, I want. First mistake. Anytime you begin anything with, I want, it can lead to destruction. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said to his disciples, If any of one of you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. I want doesn't usually work in the kingdom. We have here a son who is dealing with an internal deception. There's a a deception in his mind inside of him that says, if I can just get my share, life will look like this. Have any of you ever been there? If I can just get to this place, I will be fine. Pulling into his desire for something more than what he has. And when someone is deceived from the inside, they think that the world works in the way that they have imagined and that it's supposed to. Deception will cause you to dismiss direction from those above you. When you are deceived, you will dismiss direction from those that are above you. I'll take you back to the garden. It was when Eve became deceived that she missed direction. She dismissed the instructions, do not eat this tree. She was deceived. When you are deceived, you will dismiss direction. 
You see, the son says to give me the portion of goods that are unto me. The son thought that he could handle something that he was not ready for. You've got to be careful what you pray for. Because you may not be ready for that portion that is due unto you. If you get something that you're not ready for, then you'll lose everything you got. You're ready for the Mercedes Benz, but you won't take the hoopty to the car wash. <laughs> Amen. Luke 16.10, if you are faithful in the little things, you'll be faithful in the large things. So we can look at his life and see very clearly what his lifestyle is like because he's not faithful in the little things because we know what happens. We find here that the younger son is living in the moment of instant gratification. We live in a world of instant. If my food don't come when I get into the drive-thru, I want to pull off. If you can't get me to self-checkout in less than two minutes, I will leave my buggy. If I can't have it now, I don't want it. Have you ever been there? The way culture worked during this time, an estate, an inheritance, a livelihood would have been one-third to the younger son and two-thirds to the older son, Deuteronomy 21 and 17. In most cases, that would have been received upon death. You got to die before you could receive that, right? But sometimes a father would divide it early. What's unusual about this story is that it's the younger son that initiated the division of the estate, which shows his arrogance and complete disregard to his father's authority in the family. Notice the disregard to the family. Moving on. In Luke 15, 13 to 16, it says, A few days later, it took him a minute to gather all that was given to him. A few days later, he packed all his belongings. He loaded up the U-Haul. He got it packed to the door and he headed out and moved to a distant land and there he wasted all his money and wild living. About that time his money ran out is what it says. A great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into the field to feed the pigs. You see it's here in this distant land that he wasted his money on wild living. I want to talk to some people who have had wild living. I, the saints, you, you can stay quiet this morning. I need to talk to somebody that's had an area in their life in which it was maybe wild living. I'm not just talking about one way or another. I'm talking about any point in your life. Have you ever experienced a wild living season? One translation says prodigal living. This is in such a way that is wasteful. Do you live in a wasteful lifestyle? We know that this was not just living and blowing money because a little bit later his brother tells all that he did. In verse 30 it says the truth is revealed there that he, he spent his money on prostitutes or on harlots. He had not just spent money but he spent money in a way that was unthinkable, right? He takes all that he owns and he goes to a distant land. I want to talk to someone this morning that's been to that point. I want to talk to the younger brother. I'll get to the older brother in a minute, but I want to talk to the younger brother for now. Do you identify with that? Have you ever been to a distant land, spending money you didn't have, sleeping with people you did not know, taking drugs you couldn't spell, and, and saying words that you could not speak? I want to talk to those that have lived in that distant land and feeling as though the family back home doesn't want you anymore. 
I want to talk to those who have made it to wasted. If you look at the word wasted or spent, he spent all he had. He ran out of resources. You see, he had success but no sustainability. You can find success, but if you don't find success with sustainability, you'll run out to waste it. As if it were not enough that he had nothing left. If, if, if it were not enough that he had spent all he had. It, it's bad enough when you literally spend everything you have and you have nothing left. And you have come to the place that you have nothing left. And you're hungry and then a famine comes. You see trouble comes when you're at your most vulnerable. It was not until, when Jesus entered the wilderness it wasn't until he became hungry that the enemy showed up. When we have a hunger that arises through wasteful living, when you're living in such a way that is disconnected from the source, there's going to be a hunger that arises inside of you that you can't fulfill. Have you ever felt like you just can't get enough? You can't fill up. Matthew 5 and 6 says, Though who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. You've got to get to the place that you're hungry before you can be filled. You see, we don't know what hungry really is. We're spoiled rotten here in the United States. We don't really know what hunger is. You think you're hungry. You say, I'm hangry. Where you get angry and hungry at the same time. You think you're hungry, but you've not been hungry until you've been hungry in a famine. It's one thing to be hungry and know you've got food in the pantry. It's a whole nother situation to be hungry and there's a famine in the land. And you can't find nothing to fill you up. You get desperate. This is the point that you start to see the point between lost and found. The point of desolation and isolation. The point where you are not just sure what to do and you're not sure where to go. You're not sure what your life will look like going forward. You're not sure the next meal that's going to come to your table. You're not sure how long your lights are going to stay on. The place of desperation can make you dangerous. When you get desperate, you can become dangerous. If you don't believe me, back a mama into a corner with her kids. When you become desperate, you can become dangerous. We have to be careful that we are not walking around as desperate, dangerous disciples. I want to talk to some dangerous people this morning. When you get to the place that you're desperate, God can work. Desperation is not enough. Desperation must have revelation. If you are desperate, but you have not had a revelation, an epiphany, a realization in your life, you'll just remain desperate. You've got to have desperation and revelation. When you don't have those things, when you don't have a revelation, when you don't realize You'll do some disgusting things. You'll do the very thing that makes others not want to look in your direction. You'll say the yes to the things that make you weak. You'll say yes to the things that produce shame and guilt. You'll do things that you never want anybody to know. You'll embrace that which makes you smell and brings attention to you. Have you ever been there? Have you ever gotten to the place that you've done something that you never thought you would do? 
This is what we have here with the son. You see, this famine and this hunger pushed him to ignore his, his humility and embrace his ego. He said, I can do bad all by myself. I don't need nobody. I don't need friends. I don't need family. I can do it all by myself. Have you ever been there? Can you do it all by yourself? Can anybody tell me you have done it by yourself? We see here that he began to want. The Bible says that he became hungry. He began to want. I want. Wait, hold on. You wanted at the beginning. And now you still want. In verse 15, it says, Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into the fields to feed the swine. This is the place that labels start being placed on us. This is when we start getting labeled things that we don't want to be labeled. You join yourself to the citizens of that country. You have just changed your citizenship. He was part of that crowd. Those people. That crew. He was from that side of the tracks now, Pastor. It's not that he wanted to, but he was sent into the fields to feed the swine. Now, I'm going to stop right here for a moment and kind of explain something to you. When you're no longer attached to the source, your scarcity will place you under the control of someone else who has more than you. When you remove yourself from the source, you get desperate and you'll listen to anybody that has more than you do. He attached himself to the citizen of that country. And then they told him to go into the field and feed the swine. But hold on. It's not just the cattle. Or the homeless. Or the drug addict. It's the swine. In order for this to make sense, you would have to know that Jews do not touch pork. They do not eat pork at all. They will not touch a pig. According to the law of Moses, pigs are considered unclean. Leviticus 11, 2 through 8, Deuteronomy 14 and 8 says, And you may not eat the pig. It has split hooves and does not chew the cud. So it is ceremonially unclean for you doing stuff you unclean with. You may not eat the meat of those animals or even touch their carcasses. A Jew would not touch a pig. And for this son to eat the food and to go into the place where the pigs are means that he was now degraded beyond belief. He had reached the newest level of low. He wanted a full life of freedom and to live as he pleased. But what he found out is that it brought him to the place of the most profound place known to mankind. The point between lost and found was found in the hog pen. I want to talk to somebody that's been to the hog pen this morning. And you found the point between lost and found. That's where we look here. We see at this place, it's the point between lost and found in the hog pen. He says in verse 17, he came to himself. I want to know, has anybody in this house? Come to yourself. It was the place that he came to himself which changed his trajectory of his entire life. It's in this moment that the entire story changes. You see, the prince was eating with the pigs. That doesn't make sense. You're supposed to be at home eating food, but you're in the hog pen. He came to himself. I love this. It says, 
he realized, remember they were in a famine. What did you say, Pastor? Famine does what? It indicates change. It wasn't enough to just be hungry and to have to eat with the pigs. Now you've got to be hungry, eat with the pigs, and there's famine. But hold on, there's famine in the land. But he knows that even in a famine, his father's servants had enough. It says in the scripture, he realized even my father's servants have enough bread to spare. He must have lived through a famine before, knowing that in a famine, I know daddy has still got bread. When he realizes that even his father's servants have enough to spare, he came to himself. Psalms 37, 25, once I was young, who are we talking about? The younger brother. But now I'm old. There's some experience that happened between young and old. There's a hog pen right there, that comma. Once I was young and now I'm old. Yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor their children begging for bread. He said, I know that daddy's servants have enough bread that in a famine I can go home. He came unto himself and he said, I know that in a famine I can go home. He grew up a little bit. He has found the point between lost and found and now his life is going to be changed forever he realized that he ran out of resources pastor sometimes you've got to be brought to the place that you don't have a resource left he realized that his father's he had all of his father's stuff but his father had infrastructure you see he realized that his father was home still growing crops and still raising cattle the son had lost his substance he ran out of money and when you run out of money, you run out of friends. You must remember that God is not going to fund your dysfunction. You cannot pray for God to capitalize your craziness. You will run out. You can last for a moment, but you will run out. We've all been here at one place or another, a, a point of desperation. We know that something had to change and something had to shift, but it was when he realized he had to make the first move. You see, there's something interesting here. Here's where we find this point in the story. We see religion. It's at this point in the story that we see shame and guilt took place, Pastor. He did something, and now there's some shame and some guilt attached to him. Has anybody ever been ashamed and guilty of something? It was shame and guilt that caused Adam and Eve to go hide. At this point in the story, we see he realized that he left the sword. He had the blessing, but he left the blesser. He had the healing, but he left the healer. You can't do that. He ran off with the stuff, but without the source. And surrounded by pigs, he was in them, but he wasn't of them. You've been in something but not of something, which is why you could not stay there. He realized in a hog pen, I come to myself. He realized that I'm a child of the king hanging out with the hogs. He said, I will arise. That is something that you need to realize this morning. Your I will is the answer to God's I am. Your I will will answer his I am. When you decide in yourself, I 
will arise. I don't care what demon comes against me. I'm getting out of the hog pen. I don't care what storm comes my way. I'm coming out of the hog pen. I don't care what enemy rises up against me. I'm coming out of the hog pen. I need somebody to get in their spirit. I will arise. I will not stay here amongst the pigs. I will get up and go back to my father's house. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm going up. He realized that to go up, it required him to get up. He made a decision. There is nothing more powerful in this life than a decision. It was a decision that changed the entire world. There were two trees in that garden. Just don't eat from that one. A choice. A decision, Pastor. The point between lost and found is a decision. The decision is one of God's greatest gifts that he gave us. You got to make a decision to embrace salvation. The I will was the answer to God's I am. He found humility. But then we see something that just stands out to me. He starts rehearsing. He literally starts rehearsing to himself. Because shame and guilt has set in. And he starts rehearsing. And we see that he's rehearsing the conversation that he plans to have with the father. To reduce himself down. Just to get back in. He said, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Make me a hired servant. I missed, I miss what I left so bad that I'd rather be a servant and a slave in your house than a free man lost. He's practicing and he's rehearsing because he really doesn't know how much his father loves him. You have practiced and rehearsed before to get it right to come into the house of God because you really don't know how much your father loves you. He's preparing to try to convince his father to take him back. We try to do that sometimes. God, please. God, please. God don't need your please. What he doesn't know and what he doesn't realize is that his father is at home watching for him. You see, your fear is lying to you. Your fear is telling you that they don't want you anymore. Your fear is telling you that you'll never be good enough, that they're going to scold you when you walk back in the door. Your fear is saying that you'll never be able to fit in. You'll never be able to sing on the praise team. You'll never be able to be welcomed back in the church. And what really, really, really breaks my heart is that all of this contradicts what the father is feeling in this story. There's a discrepancy between the father at home and the son in the hog pen. One of them believes one thing and the other one is just watching. The father doesn't feel like he's no longer his son. The father wants his son to come home, not a servant. But your father, he's watching. 
He's watching for you today. He realized that when he left the place, he lost the provision. But when he came to himself, it said, so he returned. Luke 15 to 20, this part right here. So help me, Jesus. It said, so he's returned. He returned to his father. I'm so thankful we get to return. I love Amazon. I love Amazon. I buy everything on Amazon.com. And I like it because when I get it and I don't like it, I can return it. I'm so thankful that we can return. That there's a return policy on our hog pen living. While he was still yet a long way off. His father saw him coming. While he was still way over yonder. While he was still way off. He wasn't wasn't praise team material yet. He wasn't serving on the deacon board yet. He hadn't gotten it right. He might have still said a word or two. He still smelled like the hog pen. He still had manure all over him. He was broken and disgusting. And he smelled and he was full. While he was still a long way off. I need to talk to some people. If you're on this morning, I'm not talking to you. You sit there and be saved. I want to talk to some people. That's way over yonder. That is a long ways off. You haven't ever felt like you could get good enough. That's who I want to talk to this morning. Because while he was still a long way off, it said his father saw him coming. And he ran. I need to let you know this morning that heaven is running after you. The father is running after you with compassion. Filled with love and compassion, he ran and embraced him. He kissed him and he said, Father, I've sinned against both you and heaven and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And it's at this point that we realize the Father has enough compassion for you in your condition and in your brokenness That he'll still run after you. God is on the run. I need somebody to say that. God is on the run. Heaven is running after you. His goodness is running after me. His father ran and met him. He didn't even have to go the rest of the way home by himself. His father ran to him and met him. A long ways off. You'll never be on. If you think you're on, you're not. You'll never be on. You'll always be a little off. Why? Because we're here in this world and there's sin all around us. There ain't no none of us perfect. But through him, we're made righteous. It's when the father and the son join together, pastor, that we see something miraculous happen. We cannot forget That even when they sinned, God still met them in the garden. And we'll see something here. The very first sacrifice, the very first drops of blood were shed in the garden. The Bible says that Adam and Eve, they went and they sinned and they messed up. And then they went and hid and they put clothes on. Fig leaves. And that God came after them. 
He is looking for you today. He came after them. And it says that he clothed them. They had clothes. They weren't good enough. Your clothes ain't good enough. His clothes are. We see that the son knows what he's done. And he knows that he's sinned. And he had a moment of revelation that pushed him to turn back and run towards the Father. And he was willing to be reduced down to nothing. When you realize that God is your sustainment and he is your source, you'll say better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Just put me in your house. I don't care where I got to be. I just got to get to the Father's house. But the Father said to the servant, I love this pastor, bring out the best robe. Wait, hold on. He still stinketh, Lord. He still smells like the hog pen. There wasn't no shower between the hog pen and the father's house. He didn't stop by the rest area and get cleaned up. He didn't get a wash, Pastor. He was still yet a long ways off. The Bible says that he told the servants, go get the best robe. And not just any robe, the best one. But wait, he doesn't serve in the church yet. Doesn't matter, go get the best robe. But wait, he still smells like sin. Don't matter, go get the best robe. Wait, yesterday he was still sleeping with something. It don't matter, go get the best robe. Last week he was still cut. Go get the best robe. The one that's been to the press and the dry clean and the crispy one. Religion teaches us. That when they smell and when they have the world all over them, don't put the best on them. But the father says, go get the best robe. You see, the father is willing to break all the rules for you. The robe is not contingent on the cleaning. It's contingent on the coming to yourself. You see, I want to show you what happens when you get a robe. Pastor, I'm going to use you if you will. See, when you get a robe and the father puts the best robe on you. There's some sin over here and some shame over here and some depression over here and some anxiety over here and maybe some cussing and some drugging and some you can see it all. He was dirty. They could tell he'd been in the hog pen when they saw. You ever looked at someone and said, "Mm mm-hmm, I know. They could tell he'd been in the hog pen, Pastor. But the father said, go get the best robe. When you go get the best robe, you can't see none of that dirtiness that you brought with you. You can't see none of that sin that besets you. He said, go get you looking at the manure. I can't see it. I want to cover him in some mercy and some grace. I want to cover him where you can't tell that he's been in the hog pen. I want him to know that he still looks like royalty. He still belongs to the father. You can't judge him for the hog pen he's been in because he's wrapped in a robe. I need to talk to somebody this morning that has been wrapped in a robe. I've been wrapped to the place place that you can't tell what I've been and what I've done. I am clothed in mercy and grace. His 
goodness and his mercy is running after me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Hallelujah. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. And as if it weren't good enough to just give him a robe. Remember it says that he went and joined himself to another country. Another, he changed citizenship. He said, go get a ring. What does a ring mean? The ring had the family symbol on it. It said that he belongs to this family. He changed his citizenship back to the father's house. He said, go get him some new shoes. Put some gospel shoes of peace on him. Go put a ring on his finger so when he walks around, they'll know he may have been in the hog pen, but now he's got a ring. Now he's got a robe, not just any robe, the best robe. Now he's got sandals on. When you go back to the father's house, you will look different. I don't know what you've been through, but when you go back to the father's house, you will look different. You will walk around with a ring on. You will walk around with gospel shoes of peace on. You'll change when you get back to the Father's house. But it wasn't him that did the changing. It was the Father. The Father changed him. The Father put the robe on him. You've been trying to look for a robe yourself. You can't find one. It's not hanging in your closet. He said to the servants, go get the best robe. They probably looked around and said, do y'all remember where we put that one? And they scurried to go find it. I feel like they were just running all around. Got to get the best one. Which one did you find? Which one did I find? I, I don't know. Uh, this one right here. Go. And the father, the father looked at it first. I'm sure he did. He said, I'm going to put the best robe on him. If you want the best robe, put yours down. Let him put it on. You want to live righteous? You quit trying. I cannot live righteous. Pull out in front of me and find out. I cannot live righteous. But through him I can. Through him I can. Thank you, Pastor. Now I got to talk to some religious folk. The oldest son. There's two sons. You can tell the religious folks in the crowd by how they embrace the prodigal. You can tell the religious folks in the crowd by how they embrace the one coming home. It smells like the hog pen. See, the older brother missed it. It just went right over his head. If you, if you get to the place where you allow religion to dominate you, it will go right over your head. You'd just be blind to it. You see, the older brother got to the place that he allowed religion to blind him where he could no longer celebrate that which was lost being found. The older brother forgot that he too received the inheritance. And the way that the laws were written during that time, he would have received more. Because he's older. A third to the younger. 
two-thirds to the older. He was doing what religious folks do. He was working in the field, but he didn't recognize the harvest. In verse 25 to 30, it says, meanwhile. There's always something else going on. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. I'm so proud of you that you come to church. That's working. I'm so proud of the dinner on the grounds, and the, that's good. When he returned home, the older son, he heard the music. I'm not going to preach there, but I could preach that 52 ways from Sunday. He heard the music and dancing. If you get mad because we have music and dancing in church, Jesus talked about it right here. He heard the music and the dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants. You see, instead of going to see for himself, that's his house too. He asked one of the servants. Religious folks won't go to the source. They'll go to the other parking lot prophet. He heard the music and he asked the servant. I want you to notice something. It says, he asked one of the servants what was going on. And the servant said, your brother is back. And your father has killed the fattened calf. And we are celebrating. Because in the father's house, even the servants get to celebrate. He said, we, not y'all are celebrating. We are, the servant even felt like part of the family. It said, we are celebrating because of his safe return. And the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I've slayed for you and never once refused to do a single thing. This is where religion gets him right here. All those Bible studies I went to, Lord. All those revivals I went to, Lord. I've never missed a service, Lord. All those late nights and early mornings I was there cooking and cleaning and pushing them chairs and pulling out them chairs and, and getting stuff ready and, and greeting people I didn't even like and faking my smile. All that I've been doing, I've been working in the field my whole life. He tries to throw his resume at the father. Don't ever try to throw your resume at the father. Do not ever use the work of the Father as leverage to move the Father. He says, in all that time, you've never given me a sacrifice that I may celebrate with my friends. In the midst of this sentence, we see what so often the church does. It is only through this brother that we see all of the extra sin that the prodigal son lived in. You see in the scripture before it just said he lived a wasteful life. But here the religious said he was sleeping with those harlots. Hold on you don't have to tell all that business. Hold on he's at this point he's covered in the robe. At this point he's inside the father's house. And you are bringing up his past. 
He's covered in the robe, and now you're telling the servants, hold up a minute. You're telling the father, hold up a minute. Hold on, look what he used to do. And the father's saying, but he's covered. I want you to know that if you bringing up anything I did before I was covered, you're in the wrong because you're messing with something that the Father has just put a robe on. Touch not that anointed and cause them no harm. Don't put, you mess with me and God will fight my battles. I promise you, you rise up against me and you have to deal with the Father. It's not always the enemy that comes against you when you're celebrated. You can identify the religious folks in the crowd by how they're able to celebrate others. It's only through this brother, the one who does everything right, that we are revealed the level of sin that the previous, that the younger brother has done. It is through this brother that we're able to see the past truly for what it is. And the father didn't bring that to our attention. The brother did. And this is where we have the kingdom of God. He responded to him, dear son, you have always stayed by me. And everything I have is yours. For those of you that have never had a wasteful living, don't ever forget that everything that the father has is yours too. Don't lose your mindset in the church and in, in, in Christ. We have to be careful that we don't allow religion to let us forget all that belongs to us. I love this in verse 32. The father says, we had to celebrate. He said, we have to celebrate. The Bible says it. Go look. It don't say we get to celebrate. We don't get to come to the house of God. I have to come to the house of God. I don't get to shout. I have to shout, Pastor. I don't get to worship. I have to. It said we have to celebrate. It says not that we get to, not that we, we had to celebrate. It was so good that he had to. He had been home watching for quite some time. He is just watching and waiting and ready to celebrate. He said, when you turn, I have to celebrate. All of the angels in heaven rejoice when you just turn and come home. He has a ring waiting for you. He said, let's have a party. Jesus likes to party. I know that gets you a little, but he does. His very first miracle was a party. He loves a celebration. He loves a get-together. You say, why y'all always going out to eat? Because he loves a get-together. He loves a gathering. He loves a coming together and being happy and being merry and a celebration, Pastor. This isn't miserable. If you get miserable coming to church, you're not doing it right. It's a celebration. Your moment can be today. All you have to do is come to yourself. You don't have to wait till you're all cleaned up. In reality, you're not ever going to be. Embrace the fact that only through him you're saved. Only through him you're protected. Only through him are you able to celebrate this life. And he did all of this. Not so that you would join the church. 
He did all of this not so that you would cook another meal and pray for another individual. He threw a whole party because he loved him. For God so loved. For God so loved. He got the best robe out because he loved him. Not because he came home. It required him to come home to get the robe. But that's not why he gave it to him. It's just because he loved him. Sister Patty, if you would play. He went to the cross because he loved you. He has a ring waiting for you because he loves you. He was pressed in the garden because he loves you. There's nothing that you can ever do to let God down. I'll say that again. There's nothing you could ever do to let him down. Do you want to know how I know that? Because you're not the one holding him up. If you were holding him up, you could let him down, but you're not. There's nothing you can do. God so loved that he gave. God so loved you that he gave you a robe. He gave you a ring. He put new shoes on your feet. And all it requires you to do is just come to yourself and arise. He is simply standing there watching. All you, he just is looking for one move of effort. Just a turn, while he was still yet a long ways off, he ran to him. That's powerful because I can't think about God running after me for very long before I just break down. Ran after. Didn't walk. Ran with anticipation. Heaven's running after you this morning. It's just waiting on you to say, but I know a different way home. To make a decision this morning to go back home into the Father's house. You will never, ever, ever be able to measure up. Religion tells you to measure up. We're not worrying about being measured up today. We simply just need to ask ourselves, are we at home? Are we in the hog pen? The point between lost and found is simply made by the decision to say, I will rise. I will go back to the, just start walking. And he'll do the rest. He will meet you exactly wherever you are. You don't have to come unto him very far. Just one step is all he's looking for. He's sitting there ready just like this. And if you'll just take one step, he'll take off running, waiting on you. But you have to make the decision. He cannot make it for you. You have to say, I'm ready to go back. I have come to the end of myself. Sister Patty, I've wasted all my resources. I've come to the end of myself. I'm hanging on at the end of the rope. I got to go back. I got to go back. If you'll stand with me this morning.
Maybe you have a prodigal. Maybe you have someone, you're waiting for them to just take the move, just take a turn, just take an effort, and then you run after them. My prayer today is that you'll be like the father and embrace those that take a turn and come home. That you'll let them walk through the door and just take a step and you'll run after them. And you'll wrap your arms around them. And if it's you today, I'm, I'm asking you to decide to get out of the hog pen. Look at the pigs you're hanging out with and say, I got to leave here. I'm in it, but I'm not of it. Look at the hogs you're hanging out with and say, I can't do this anymore. I got to go back to the father where even the servants have enough bread in the famine. If that's you today, I invite you to just simply take the first step and he will run after you. Not because of anything you've ever done, but simply because he loves you. God, I worship you and I thank you, Father. With every head bowed and every eye closed. If, if that's you this morning and, and you feel like you've been just standing in the hog pen. Make the decision today that you don't have to be there anymore. You don't have to clean it up. You just come walking and he'll run after you. He'll do the rest. He'll cover you in mercy. He'll cover you in grace. They won't ever look at you the same. But because the father did it, not because you did it. If that's you today, just you can just signify lifting up of your hand. There's nobody looking around. Just say, God, I want to come back to you and cover me with your mercy and cover me with your grace.